Hey there, Dragonfly Nation. I wanted to announce a very big event happening in the summer of 2022. I want to give you this information now in the wintertime so that you have time to prepare for this because this is a big deal. The 2022 Global Bushcraft Symposium has been announced. It is going to be happening from July 27th to the 31st of July in the year 2022. It is being co-chaired by Lisa Fenton and Paul Kirtley, names that you should be well aware of, folks, especially if you're all into the bushcraft world. Speakers are including Dr. Teresa Camper, Bruce Zawalski, Gordon Dedman, ba- Patrick McGlinchey, and Rupert Brown. These are these and many others are why I'm excited. These are some of the greatest brains of today when it comes down to woodcraft, survival, indigenous ancestral skills, anything you can think of in the realm of bushcraft, it is happening at this event. And it's happening in Wales, United Kingdom in July 27th to the 31st in the year 2022. So pack your stuff up now, get it all ready, get your passport in order, get all the stuff you need in order, because this is going to be a very big event, very, very big event that I am excited to be going to with Rye the Adventure Guy. We may even record a few podcasts with some folks while we're there. Hope to see you there this coming summer from July 27th to July, uh, July 31st. If you want to learn more, go to www.globalbushcraftsymposium2022.com. Again, www dot global bushcraft symposium 2022.com to know the landscape is to open up a door to feel deeper connected than you've ever felt before we know that you will love this podcast so shut your mouth and listen to Canadian Bushcraft. Hello, Dragonfly Nation. This is the Canadian Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Caleb Musgrave. And I'm joined today by my good friend, Rye the Adventure Guy. How's it going? He nodded at, at the microphone. He nodded <laughs> at the microphone, just so you're all aware. This isn't on video? <laughs> Not yet. I've been ex- I've been like wondering what to do with my hands this whole time <laughs> that we've been recording these. Put on my makeup, brush my beard. I mean, I've been appreciating it. Thank you. I've I've appreciated all the work you put in. I do it number one for you and number two for the listeners. So. Good, 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 good. So this episode is about uh, winter time. We're we're coming into winter, even though it's like fifteen degrees out right now where we are. This is absurd. This is mid December, and it's warmer than it was in November. This is stupid. But uh, winter is coming as they like to say on the internet and on memes. But uh, we want to talk about one of our, mm, I wouldn't say like one of our top conversations that we have about winter time, but definitely something that comes up a lot when we're talking about winter camping. And that is hot tents. We've we've talked about shelter on multiple episodes. We've talked about winter camping at an introductory level in the past. It's time to start getting into more what you should be looking for in a tent, what brands are out there, what materials are out there, what designs are out there, what options are there. And also we should be talking about why hot tents. Why is a hot tent valuable? Um, I've got my reasons. Ryan, do you have any reasons you want to point out that you like about hot tents versus just not having a hot tent for winter camping? I spent so many tights, nights cold tenting and mm-hmm. being out there, I've spent weeks at a time just sleeping in a little pop-up tent and it gets cold you need to bring so much more 
for your sleep system, you need to bring your big minus 20 sleeping bag minimum and then a liner for that yeah. and possibly a bivy bag to go around that and keeping all the warmth in so and more food because that's going to keep you warm and more yeah. food as well so by the time you end up packing all that extra weight you might as well pack the weight of a hot tent and a stove and you're <laughs> yeah. going to have a much more cozy base camp i totally. find somewhere where you can enjoy because some of them have been enjoyable and other times you're just kind of making it through the night <laughs> especially you, some of the solo cool yeah. tenting trips I've done and everything where I'm just like around the fire. Okay. This is going, I'm just going to run back now. Yeah. Get in my tent. There's been a lot of times when I've done winter camping trips with friends and they're using cold tenting and they would hang out by that fire until like one of the, like they're trying to avoid going into that tent at all costs. Yeah. And they would be burning up all of our firewood just to, you know, give an excuse to stay by that warmth. And that brings up how I frequently have gone winter camping since I was a teenager. And that is sleeping by an open fire with some sort of open front shelter, whether it's a lean-to made of boughs or logs, or it's a half frame uh, open front, uh, what we often refer to as a open front art shelter. So like a super shelter. Mm -hmm. um, I've slept a lot of the time by those. It's great. You are totally warm. Uh, sometimes you got feel like you got to turn your body like a rotisserie chicken to stay mm -hmm. warm. The problems are refueling and how much fire would you really do go through in a single night uh, when you're doing open front shelters by an open fire. Open fires burn up a whole lot more fuel than a, than a, than a stove in a tent. It just by sheer logic, you're going to be using whole logs, burning them through in the open air where there's nothing controlling the draft, nothing controlling the burn. And therefore, you throw on whole hug-sized logs, and they will burn up through the night. They will burn right up. Whereas if you have a good, well-made stove in a good tent, and you know how to, how to use that stove, you can burn maybe a couple armloads of firewood through the night, sometimes less than that, depending on what type of wood it is and depending on what kind of stove it is. So it can be very economic on your resources. You don't have to do as much work to try and stay warm through the night. Yeah, there's some people who wake up every hour to to restock the fire, but mm -hmm. I find as long as I'm comfortable while I'm getting to sleep, then I get the ball rolling and mm -hmm. I'm I don't wake up in the middle of the night freezing. I'm already got that heat inside my sleeping bag. Yeah. I'm already heated. I'm not going to bed with cold toes and cold hands and mm -hmm. everything. It's already starting off on the high. So totally for me easier. Yeah. It's a lot easier for me. What often happens is I have to get up and relieve myself in the night because I'm getting older and yeah. that happens at least seven times a night now. Mm -hmm. And so when I get up, that's when I'll just rest, uh, restoke the fire. If it needs it, mm -hmm. I'll get up, go relieve myself, come back and be like, Oh, how's the tent stove looking? Oh, it's looking a little down. Let's add some more fuel to it to get it to keep going. And that keeps us going until morning. And then by morning, it's still warm in that tent and you're not tossing and turning, shivering, trying to stay warm it's it's a lot more pleasurable what also we talked about this earlier uh before we did the episode i like the fact that i can dry my clothes yeah it, you can do that by an open fire but there's a lot more hit or miss there's also gonna be a whole lot more puddles there's a 50 percent loss <laughs> normally uh, you'll lose you'll have one crispy bacon mitten yeah or else a melted boot by yeah, the fire. Right? Exactly. That's normally what I've seen. For, for me, it's more, it either dries too well and becomes that crispiness, or it falls into a puddle formed by all the melting ice and snow, yeah. and it just gets wetter. 
So a tent that has a good ridge line or some way to dry the clothes up in the warm space at the top of the tent, man, that, that really does make or break a lot of trips for me. If I can stay dry, if I can stay comfortable during the trip, I can go through some pretty cold nights as long as, and deal with some pretty crappy days, as long as my feet aren't soaked and cold and my fingers feel like they're not turning to blocks of ice. And one of the first steps to that is being able to dry your clothes. I think it was Morse Kohansky uh, in Northern Bushcraft, and I could be completely off on this, uh, where I'm getting this information from, that was talking about if you're dressed in the traditional European woolen clothing without a fire, after one week in the Canadian wilderness, you would have approximately one kilogram of frost built up in your clothing. If you're wearing the classic woolen clothing and no way to dry out at the end of the day, you have no fire, you've got no heat source. You're going to collect a kilogram, a kilo of frost. And that is going to severely impede the insulation value of your clothing. And that means by the end of a week and a half or two weeks, you could be staring down the face of hypothermia very, very rapidly on a frequent basis. And so heat or clothing that can relieve the frost. So caribou hide. Uh, caribou hide clothing of the Inuit people who have the hair on is tan. Exactly. Knock the frost off. off. Yeah. It's a great design. <clears throat> Modern clothing doesn't do that. Gore-Tex doesn't do that. Uh, Triple Point doesn't do that. Any of that kind of uh, waterproof breathable cannot remove the frost. It can simply remove the vapor of, of sweat. That's why I even prefer the whole convection-based warming Mm-hmm. of a tent rather than direct heat radiating yeah. heat from a fire because yeah. especially if you're with a group or something and you have your mittens by the fire you have a nice manageable fire next to it all good and then some guy brings on three more logs to toss on that fire and suddenly there's a rager while you are off mm-hmm. doing something getting your sleep system set up for the night and you come back and your mittens are melted open. You've got something that's just down flying done. everywhere. And now that's your pair of mittens gone for the trip. And you're going to be miserable for the rest of it. And then tomorrow drops to minus 40. Yeah. <laughs> you have to keep your hands in your pockets like some Canadian kid waiting for the school bus. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it really is beneficial to have that convecting air of warm air moving through the tent. And drawing moisture out because people are all frequently breathing and they're frequently sweating even yeah. when they're not moving. And that therefore you're going to have condensation. And even in a canvas tent, that condensation can build up. Yeah. But if you have a good stove and good ventilation, it's drying that area out very rapidly. Very rapidly. That's the only way I've seen people do it. You can't, you can't do it with propane heaters or anything. You'll still get condensation problems mm-hmm. in your cold tent if that's the way you go. But then also people just using those candle lanterns. Yep. And that's the only other way I've really seen people effectively. But I'm always worried about having those little tiny candle lanterns, even though they have the bigger ones, but just rolling around in your sleep and knocking something over. That's why like a lot of the only, like, A, I'm, I've never been a big fan of cold tents, even in the summer. Like, yeah. I, you know me, I don't like tents. I've just <laughs> never liked them. And yes, I understand that bug netting is great. I can get bug nets around my hammock. Thank you. But the one thing I saw that was really interesting is like some of the MSR tents and a lot of those other alpine tents Mm -hmm. that are expecting to go up into the north or up into the high hills where it's going to be extreme cold. They actually have little clips all over the place to hang those candle lanterns. Yeah. And according to Morse Kohansky, and I'm going to be quoting Morse a couple more times, I'm sure, tonight on this episode. um, One candle puts out the exact same equivalent of BTUs as another human body. 
So if you were in a solo tent and you put in like four or five candles, that's four or five more people's worth of heat in your tent with you, which is a really smart way to do that stuff. At the same time, as Ryan just pointed out, what if one of those clips fails? Or gets heated up and it happens to be made of plastic and it just falls through and lands on me and I'm pouring wax all over my cam my 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 almost a canvas there all over my sleeping bag all over my face all over my beard and now I'm gonna wax my beard pretty much uh, and God knows what else could happen what could go wrong there if it if it lands on something that's flammable and you've got that candle and you've got that liquid wax there's a potential for an actual tent fire uh, it's not extremely high especially with like the UCO candle lanterns. They have a really good safety features hooked up in them. They're made to contain the flame and made to contain basically put the fire out if it gets tipped. Um, th- those are great. I've got I've had a few of those in my lifetime. I know some people like to tease UCO, but I like their brand. Um, but it's a lot easier just to have a hot tent. Yeah. The only the only place I would argue that it's beneficial to not have a hot tent is in places that don't have firewood. Mm-hmm. Like if you're in the high Arctic, you're in the you're up in the high Alpine. We are not having a lot of trees that you can actually chop up for firewood. That's where I would, or if you're open, a big, 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 broad open lake. Or like, even to people who still do the ultralight thing during the winter totally. times. And there's a lot of people I know who pick their winter gear based off, can I carry it in a backpack? There'll be people who sure. they get the really ultralight the TP tents with stove jacks in them and then they get their collapsible titanium stove. Yep. But other than that, there's some people who just either they might not have the funds to invest in a completely separate winter gear setup. Right. Because these tents are expensive. They're they really are. people get used to paying like three, four hundred bucks for a three season tent at most. Eureka's and all that stuff. Yeah. Just nice, something simple. They're not going up to the crazy MSR brand models, mm-hmm. the stuff that people use for mountaineering and stuff. So they're looking to go light and go easy. So, but there are ways to do it when you're not worrying too much about how cold you're going to be. Some people have set up their systems because they've been doing it for decades. But totally. sometimes you just get to that point in the middle of the night, you're saying, I'm getting a hot tent. I'm getting the right hot tent with the right stove is what I often yeah. am saying to myself because I've made the mistake. We have a, before we get into all the other tents and setups, like I started my hot tent journey when I was in high school uh, with the classic prospector tents with big cast iron wood stoves mm-hmm. and everything was heavy. Everything was always wet because <laughs> it's just, it's a big, basically sopping wick that soaks up all the moisture in the air. And that big, heavy cast iron stove can only pump out so much heat to dry that area out. And that was because of how it was set up. We weren't putting down a sod cloth. We weren't putting anything down as a vapor barrier. Uh, A lot of these modern camping tents that we're going to be talking about, winter camping tents, often have a floor in them now, which really cuts back on how much moisture you're going to be dealing with. The old-fashioned wood-style prospector tents don't always have those tarps or floors. And so the canvas would get heavy, and now we're lugging out something even heavier at the end of the trip. And I just hated them. And then I got into my mid-20s and I started seeing things, actually early 20s, I started seeing things like the Lavus and these other teepee-style, one-pole setup synthetic tents with a wood stove in them. Like, oh, that's a cool idea. And then I started seeing the Eskers and the Snow Trekkers and everything else. And in that time, uh, my hunting group was like, okay, we want to start doing moose hunts, but it gets really cold up where we're going to be moose hunting. Um, and we need a group shelter. So we invested in a Cabela's Alaknak 2, 
It's a large guiding tent that is a 12 by 20. It's a cabin. It's a cabin, yeah. <laughs> it's 100% a cabin. And during that, mm. we ordered it directly from Cabela's. And then we went to go pick it up. And the only stoves that they had, and legit, the only stove that they had for that tent was called the Nyko Alaskan Junior. Junior, you don't want that for a cabin. Tent. No, I was like, that's a small looking stove. That's gonna be really impressive to keep us all warm, and it never has. <laughs> Unless that's, you're two feet away. Yeah, we, <laughs> me and Ryan, about two years ago, figured a way to make the shelter a lot warmer by putting up an extra wall mm -hmm. to make it a twelve by twelve or twelve by ten tent, and then the other side is cold storage. Yeah, it stops the leakage of the warm air getting to the second half of yeah. the tent. Yeah. At least for a little bit. For a little we got, while. We got pretty toasty, in yeah. there, at least with that modification. But, but it's a small stove for a big tent, and that yeah. was the first mistake I made in my hot tenting experience. For me, as a as a outdoors folk, I'm looking for a large tent to be able to keep a lot of people warm. It's to me as an outdoors instructor, it's looking I look at it as a safety measure when we're doing survival courses in the wintertime. It's somewhere that everybody can retreat to. If the shelters fail, mm -hmm. if the weather gets worse, if things go wrong, we have somewhere that's warm and secure and big enough for everybody. But um, yeah, it needs a bigger stove. And I contacted Nyko, the actual stove company, and I told them how big my tent was. They're like, no, you need our Denali stove. And that thing is like a, a 78 or 82 pounds. Yeah. And it's like the size of a, the size of a house stove, mm -hmm. like a house oven. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's freaking huge. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. For a 12 by 20, that, that makes a lot of sense. If you want to have everybody warm and everybody dry, it makes total Especially sense. Especially since for stoves that size, like the Alaskan Junior, you're probably looking for something at a 10 by 10 or yeah. 10 by 12 tent at yeah. most. At most. And that's exactly what it says on the NICO website. <laughs> yeah. Like, If you're looking for a 10 by 12 stove, this is the stove we recommend. If you Or even their Alaskan, it's going to be even warmer. The Alaskan Junior is literally their smallest model. Their absolute smallest model. And that's the one thing you're going to have to find out kind of research when you're looking into your tents and your stoves is what stove works with your tent, what stove size, uh, what size tent works for the stove you may be buying. Yeah. So on that, those notes, uh, let's get into it. Let's get into some brands and talking about different designs and materials. So when it comes down to hot tents, there's a lot of, there's a lot of brands and we can get into the brand names as we go. But there's a lot of designs, there's a lot of material options, there's a lot of variability in them. A lot of them have some very similar aspects. And there's different makers and models that could be very similar. But for the most part, there's, you know, four or five really common designs that are out there. There's like the bell tent, the wall tent, the wedge. Uh, I would also put in the pyramid or teepee styles. Pyramids, yeah. yeah. So there's like four or five pretty common design some of them are really different there's some geodesic dome style ones yeah. uh i've also seen a few that are kind of hybrids where it's kind of a wedge tent with a pyramid at the front mm -hmm. um and there's all those different variations why are there so many options well like we talk about a lot is about your expectations mm -hmm. and what your goals are for tripping so a lot of people they'll load up a huge 12 foot sled and then pull everything in Right. <clears throat> and that's where you can afford to do a lot heavier tents and especially if you're snowmobiling right. and you have a machine coming in and helping you with that. And then there's the other people are just hiking it in. They might have snowshoes on. They have a big old hundred liter backpack and that's it. Right, some hiking right. poles. But and then it depends where you're going as well. 
yeah what so, kind of protection you're gonna need what are the conditions what's the wind like because per se a geodesic dome or a teepee might be a lot better at shedding wind and everything so than you're on the open wall tent that's just gonna get that broad side and just push against those 90 degree angles right so. right there's so there's also different like like as you're saying like there's different variables and different environments or climates mm -hmm. if you're setting down a campsite you're setting it down like a base camp kind of scenario where you're going to be bringing people in frequently if you're a trapper if you're uh frequently going to be returning to the same spot again and again and again for any reason uh could be a, just a tent in your backyard you know if you have a little bit of acreage it could be a tent out on the crown land that you're going to be coming back to on several occasions within the 21 days that you're allowed to have a structure vertical in one spot yeah uh or if you own a lot more acreage or you're going out to one spot you have a trap line you have the rights to have shelters set up something like a, a prospector tent works in those scenarios where they're gonna be up for a while you're building a more substantial frame yeah um and you're gonna shelter it better and put it in the right spot maybe put a fly tarp over to shed rain and snow all that kind of stuff they're freaking heavy yeah that like i said earlier that's what i grew up using and i hated carrying them with me but if you're putting them up in one spot and then taking it down at the end of the season it kind of works mm -hmm. it, they're also great for things like sugar bushes mm -hmm. uh you have a large area to have a few people staying in one spot sometimes they're 12 by 14 sometimes they're 20 by 14. um the the classic like wood style brand prospector tent comes to mind as a semi-permanent base it's as permanent as a tent can get even the more add-ons you have with it if you have the included floor sure if you have the over tarp and everything mm -hmm. so you go from having a 40 pound canvas tent on its own and then you add another 10 15 pounds for the floor <laughs> and suddenly you're trekking around 150 pounds that plus the stove just yeah tent yeah gear and yeah everything. so unless you have a big group to split that between then mm -hmm. you might run out of room quick on your sled or pulk or whatever you've got going if, to maneuver if you think about the name of it a prospector doesn't sound like someone that travels around a lot mm -hmm. it sounds like someone that's staying in one spot trying to get their claim mm -hmm. think about that when you're thinking about your what you're going to want to use this tent for whereas something like a geodesic or a uh, a lavu or tent teepee style they can be almost as permanent they're pretty durable but they're also a little bit lighter and easier to pack down and often they're made of synthetic materials so they're not sopping up a lot of water in the meantime but they're still you know reasonably heavy they're not something i would want to put in a backpack there's also limits to permanent you still you don't want to set up your prospector tent at the back of your 400 acre property forget about it for the whole season to have snow and rain sitting trees. on top of it and trees might come down on it yep you want to make sure you're consistently airing it out and drying it out because even when you get home at the end of a trip you want to just hang it up and leave it for up to a week you yeah. want to make sure that canvas is completely they're treated for mold resistant resistance not proof that. exactly so even if you do that and you leave it up for an extended amount of time, you might come back to a ruined tent that's just covered in mold and has a raccoon family living in it and stuff. <laughs> so you want to make sure you're still keeping on top of something. And like 
permanent setup if you're living in it for a winter there's a lot of people who do live in canvas tents for the winter then they're there they're running their stove they're making sure that it's cleared off of ice and snow if there's damage they're right there to fix it exactly so you never just want to just set it up and forget about it and be like oh wait a second i should go back it's march now (laughs) i know some people that when they want to do long-term hot tenting but they don't want to be out there every single day they'll build like a wooden deck and then sometimes they'll even put up a roof over top of it some sort of shelter to really protect from the more abusive weather and then they can use that tent uh frequently prospector tents are used by those folks that are building cabins in the way back in the back country and they'll put the tent up on top of their foundation and live in that while they build the walls and the roof of their cabin and once those are up they can take the tent down and use the rest of the space as a shelter um that's a great way to, of looking at it. Again, we're looking at like closer to permanent than semi-permanent than the other semi-permanent shelters. Tent TP, uh, TP tent. Those are two different brands. They do very similar TP or Lavu style one pole shelters that are often mm-hmm. made exclusively of a nylon material, synthetic material. So you don't have to worry as much about mold. There's still like a consideration for mildew. Yeah. Any material can collect mildew. Can be plastic, can be canvas, it can be anything. Um, and I've had people argue me that the synthetic tents are a lot more dangerous than the canvas tents when it comes to fire. Um, I disagree. I've had three friends injured in tent fires that they had out on their trap lines and stuff. One lady, when she was a child, they lived in a hot tent up in northern Ontario because that's the only shelter they had. And there was a there was a tent fire. And she was severely burned from her face all the way down to her legs, um, permanently disfiguring her, in her eyes, disfiguring her. Um, And that was from a regular canvas tent. Synthetic tents, they can melt. And in an extreme situation, they can catch fire. And when they catch fire, it is a lot more damaging than a canvas fire. But it doesn't light up as easily as canvas does. So there's benefits there of safety. There's different opinions on that safety aspect. The melting, I've always argued, throw a blanket over yourself and get out. It's going to take a lot longer. I think some of it could come down to complacency. You get people who get a little too comfortable Mm -hmm. in a canvas tent, and then they just load up the stove as much as they can, and they get it glowing. You don't want your stovepipe to be glowing ever. No. Like, it's look at it as a marathon. You don't want to get up there, get the biggest, fastest fire going, and have it glowing red hot all the way out through your stove jack totally you want to just nice consistent heat will warm up that space and as long as you're trapping that air and getting that warm totally. air trap and going in there then and that's why a lot of stoves have things like stove uh, stovepipe robbers heat robbers mm-hmm. from your stovepipe or they'll have the little fans hooked up or water jackets so that yeah you're slowly building up heat but you're collecting and capturing that heat there's so many people i know that they'll load up the fire going and within an hour, it gets to a point where it's way too hot. You're in a sauna all of mm-hmm. a sudden. And then they're opening the door to let some of that warm air out. Ryan's so, looking right in my eyes as he's telling me this. I'm looking in your eyes because we're talking to each other, <laughs> recording a podcast. But Not we'll, talking about our Espanola expedition. <laughs> we'll load it up. That was a cabin. We're, we're getting used to it. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. But so many people, that's just a waste of the wood you just yeah. used on loading it up. So... It's better to get yourself, work yourself up to a nice, comfortable level. Totally. And totally. not worry about, let's get it raging in here. Heck yeah. So. 
on that, like uh, getting back into our tent options or tent designs, there the, the beauty that I like I like about the Lavu or teepee style tents is it's kind of a heat funnel. Mm-hmm. So you down where you are are going to be in a fairly temperate environment because that's where the stove is. Some of them can even allow open fire depending on how you set up your tent. Those those teepee tent tent styles. But even with the geodesic dome ones, you have that temperate zone where you are and then a heating, warming, drying zone above you, Yeah, which is really great. Because that way, going back to the idea of drying our clothes, we can dry all of our gear above us and away from us. So it's dripping on the stove or dripping on the ground beyond us, drying up in that warm, hot space. Yeah. We're comfortable where we are and everything's kind of away from us. The worst experiences I have is when I have to dry my clothes where I'm working. Yeah. I have my stove going. I'm trying to make coffee, trying to make bannock or whatever it may be for dinner or for the meal. And there's people's mittens and socks all around on all the wood trying to dry off. If you can have that yeah. warming zone above you, out of the way, man, that's nice. And you're using the heat in a smart way. You don't need a lot of heat where you are. 64 Celsius, uh, Celsius, oh my God. 64 <laughs> Fahrenheit, you know, 18 to 20 degrees Celsius is perfect for human life. Uh, for comfort and then at 25 to 30 degrees up amongst the stovepipe can be where you're drying things where things need to be dried right out as quickly as possible but not getting scorched or melted mm-hmm. um, i think that's the perfect reason for a tent style uh, teepee style tent mm-hmm. uh, or lavu style tent is that classic just it's a heat funnel all the heat's going up it's trying to radiate up and it gets narrower as you go up like a cone and therefore, things are going to be warmer. They're going to be concentrating the heat more. That's the thing. You get companies like Sewn Home yeah. who do your traditional TP with the poles and mm-hmm. everything. So you don't have that central circus pole in the middle. Yeah. So you can, I've seen that's where you can do the open fires because it's like a TP inside. Totally, totally. And or else some of them, they'll have like a cap on top that you can stick a stove pipe through instead of having the stove jack. Mm-hmm. down along the lower ends totally so you can have that right in the middle and hang some stuff around there and if you have tv poles you, you have easy lash off points oh, yeah. to create yourself a nice little webbing of hangers up there and so. for cooking and for mm-hmm. there's so many options we've spent uh way back when the brothers of bushcraft mikhail rob mania uh, mikhail mercuria from emberlet robert mania from practical survivor Norseman from Survivalology 101 and uh, or actually he's now Survival Hardware, I believe is his brand, and Maker's Movement on YouTube. Uh, we all went camping in the in the winter of 2014-2015. Minus 37 almost every night. Sticking around minus 20 during the daytime. And we were staying in a teepee the whole time. And it was smoky. Like, it was smoky because we had very few people that knew how to manage a teepee. Because they're they're having external air coming in from all sides, and then you have a liner to stop that air from hitting you, and it has to draft upwards to help draft the smoke out. And it's a really complex design. A classic indigenous plain style teepee is a lot more nuanced than you would think. Um, again, proving that there is no such thing as primitive people. <laughs> it's a very complex home. You're basically living inside of a wood stove, and you have your flues and your drafts and everything else built into your home. Yeah. Um, but we could dry things so quick in there. Guys were sleeping in there at negative 37. No one ever complained about being cold in yeah. that teepee, ever. They complained about the smoke because they couldn't get the smoke to draft how it should when I wasn't around um, because they weren't used to it. 
But what they also really appreciated was the fact that they had those poles that they could lash a ridge pole across and hang pots and pans yeah. over the fire and do big cooking projects together, frying food and making big pots filled with snow melting down to have constant resupply of water all mm -hmm. the time. They loved that. And of course, with the ridge poles up there, they could hang clothes up there to dry, put things up there that got wetter. They don't want getting wetter. They don't want like mice getting into things mm -hmm. like that. Um, there's a lot of benefits to that teepee style. The The biggest one, again, for me is the fact that you can stand up in them. Mm -hmm. You can have full comfort inside of a, of a, of a teepee style or lavu style tent mm -hmm. because you can stand up, you can bend down, you can stretch out and lay down flat. You can sit up a lot of tents. You kind of have to stoop in, you got to mm -hmm. crouch in, you can't really stand up to your full height. And that starts to take a toll on your back. Your body has to start learning some new yoga poses just to be able to survive out there um but they're also heavier and they take a lot more material and they are going to take a lot more space up in your pulk or in your toboggan or your tent on uh, your tent in your uh backpack and you have to kind of spread the weight on or are you going to be able to find poles while you're out there or do you have to bring the poles with you and the frame with you what's it yeah the difference if you have a nice big actual tp with all the poles all around it's going to create a pretty bomb proof shelter. You're going to shed snow a lot easier. Mm -hmm. The center pole ones, you've got that one pole. You can either bring an aircraft aluminum, aluminum yeah. pole or whatever pole, PVC pole you can make yourself, or else just find a simple sapling when you're out there. Mm -hmm. And that takes it down. So you, then you don't have 20 poles all around the shelter. You just have one central pole. Totally. But at the same time, I've seen those teepee tents. They tend to not bear the load yeah. of the snow around it. You'll wake up after a foot of snow in the morning, and all of a sudden your walls are sunken right down in on you. Or you have like 100 guy lines to keep it as yeah. tight as possible, and now exactly. you have all these tripping hazards. <laughs> or the fact that you forget one, that's the spot that's going to rip because that's the spot yeah. that has all the pressure going into it. Exactly. Um and that, and that goes back to the, the, when we're talking about the prospector tent, like you need poles for that. If you're going out onto the land, you're not always guaranteed. And it's getting harder and harder to find good spots that have good ridge poles that you can set up every time consistently at every single camp. Mm -hmm. It's becoming harder and harder to do that. And so single pole tents have a lot more, they're a little sexier to a lot of people who are going out a lot because it's just one pole you got to look for. Find one that works and you're set for that day. Yeah. Whereas with a prospector tent, you're looking for a minimum of five, mm -hmm. if not seven, if not nine or 10. Uh, and with a classic style teepee, you're looking for a minimum of 15, mm -hmm. 13 to go around and then two to for the smoke flaps. Yeah. So I have to find 15 teepee poles <laughs> at every single. That's why the indigenous people of the plains didn't often bring their teepee poles with them. They would stockpile teepee poles across the plains and across the Black Hills yeah. and across the mountain ranges that they could return to every time and pick up some poles and set up them just have to bring the cover with them, which is another conversation we get into of caching food and caching gear and the benefits of that. That could be an episode all on its own. There's definitely the benefits of if you know the land and you travel it often mm -hmm. rather than always going into uncharted territory where you're not sure what the next campsite's going to yeah. look like, what the resources are going to be. So that's where it helps to bring, either bring along your whole setup. You know, like people in the Arctic these days, they'll have their snowmobiles yeah. and they'll have their big wooden sleds pulling behind it. 
where they just wrap up all their poles with their canvas teepee and they're set to go and they mm -hmm. have it all sorted out with their furs and everything ready to exactly. go for a nice cozy night. Totally. It's, it's, it comes down again, again to portability. Um, yeah, the teepee is great until you got to carry it. Yeah. Even the canvas of a teepee, mm -hmm. depending on the size of your teepee, can weigh anything from 90 pounds to 250 pounds to 300 pounds. It can be a real pain in the butt to try and drag that thing across the country with you and then set it up every day. Um, and I say that's the same for the prospector tents. They can get quite heavy. And I've, I'm beating a dead horse with that rant. But they get heavier as the days go, in my experience. That's why I've seen the huge explosion of the popularity of TP tents with the central pole. Mm -hmm. Synthetic material. Synthetic materials, just a nylon. Yeah. If you're getting rips off nylon, it's going to cost you more. Sure. you got to expect you you get what you pay for sort of thing. You see companies like Lux. We've been looking at Lux for a while now. Some cheaper tents, but at the same time, they're not ripstop nylon yeah. there's some you got to take care of those tents and make sure you've done everything properly and done your due diligence set up to protect yourself from widow makers and things that could tear the tent apart but at the same time some of them pack down small enough that you could carry them in a backpack yeah and have your little collapsible titanium stove totally stainless steel stove whatever you want but titanium a lot of people are liking that for just the weight yeah. factor and everything. They're so. incredible. It's like four times the strength of steel at the same weight kind of thing. So you can make yeah. it a lot thinner, a lot lighter, and it'll be just as strong as a steel stove. Um, our friend Don Cavellis from Four Dog Stoves, he makes stoves both in stainless, I think in carbon steel as well, and in titanium. Yeah. And they, they cost a pretty penny. We're not gonna we're not gonna deny that. Like a titanium stove is gonna cost a pretty penny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the weight ratio. Man, that's nice. Mm -hmm. Even for a big stove, if you can get yourself a big stove made of titanium, it's going to weigh the same as a medium-sized steel stove. Mm -hmm. That's great. The the other the the one issue I argue with titanium is they can lose heat faster. Yeah. Steel kind of conducts that heat a lot longer, and therefore, when the stove does start to cool down, the fire has already run its course inside, and you're down to embers, and it's mm -hmm. cooling down then. Whereas with a, a titanium stove. Pretty much as soon as the fire starts to cool down, the stove cools down. And so you got to mm -hmm. frequently restock it a lot more lot more frequently. I like the idea of the collapsible stoves and everything. But I think when if it's like minus 35, there's some people who will do it no problem. But I think that's the last thing I want to worry about when yeah. I'm trying to set up my camp is trying to fumble with all the bits and then missing one of your nuts that you had or one of the like, rods uh, that yeah. hold it together or anything like that. And you're... It's minus 35. I left it at the other camp. And you just got and it's like the sun's going down within the hour yeah. and you're trying to figure this out and get it all done. And that's the benefit of like the Nyko style and the uh the the four dog styles. They don't really collapse. Just They're, the legs folding. Yeah, folding legs with a box. Just yeah. a classic fire box. And I, I, I agree with you on that. Is I don't want to get there and realize I left all the things I need to make this thing work at the last site because we were in a rush. Or else you, something just fell off or more broke just more to go wrong more moving pieces yeah you try to push one of those rods back in and it just snaps because of the cold and sometimes they have problems just with sealing properly yep. so you're getting a really smoke-filled there's so many cracks along yeah. the edge that yeah. is just filling your gaskets aren't smoke, working their job so. there there's a lot of benefits to the packable stoves but honestly i i stick with the classic just box style yeah i, I trust them more and there's 
like, again, we're kind of getting into this conversation of synthetic versus canvas. Uh, and I mentioned the, the whole like safety issue. Another benefit of the synthetic is it's going to stay lighter no matter how wet it gets outside. It rarely picks up a lot of moisture. Canvas can pick up a lot of moisture, but at the same time, that canvas is durable. Like we were talking about this earlier. If you get a torn tent, that's our, our Lacknack tent from Cabela's has a tear in it right now. And the reason I'm saying it has a tear in it right now is because I have not gotten the courage yet to try and fix that. <laughs> it's like, how do you sew that nylon without tearing it worse? Because it's not ripstop. And even ripstop yeah. can continue to rip if you keep adding <clears throat> holes to it. Yeah. Um, whereas canvas, uh, I remember years back, uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours had a canvas tent that got damaged. And he's like, hey, do you know anybody that could fix this stuff? And I was like, is it just canvas? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, buy me dinner i'll be up in a bit and i went up to his place with a speedy stitcher all and i stitched with him and showed him how to use that all and we stitched a seven foot slash in his tent in under two hours just sat there just slowly went along and stitched played some mastodon and motorhead and just kept on stitching in his barn and he bought me dinner and we had a good night with it we had a good lot of long nice chats and it was simple and he was like wow you're really good at this stuff no i'm not <laughs> I am not a seamster or either seamstress in any way, shape, or form. I am terrible at sewing canvas, but even my Neanderthalic brain can sew canvas. Anyone can sew canvas. It's really easy. Nylon needs a little bit more. Like honestly, that's why a lot of the repair kits for tents that are nylon are tape and glues because yeah. they know you're not going to be able to sew this shit without the right machines or equipment. Yeah. So. If you're taking a long trip in the backcountry, you kind of have to weigh your options of synthetic versus canvas. Yeah, the synthetic is going to stay drier, and therefore it's going to be a lot lighter as I go across country and as I eat more of the food in my kit, my pack is going to get lighter. Whereas if I lose all the food I'm eating over time and gain all the water my tent is soaking up, it's going to get heavier. But if it gets damaged, which is a very possible likelihood... If you're doing a long trek, like more than a weekend, there's a good chance your tent is going to get torn by something. It's going to get a tear in it. It might even get a burn hole in it. Who knows? If you're able to put that out because you were a dumbass like Ryan was warning you about and got that stovepipe a little too hot, you scorch part of it, that canvas is going to start breaking apart of that scorch. Okay, take out a piece of repair canvas and stitch that place back together. Or if you don't have a spark arrestor on your sure. stovepipe or anything like little that. Little tiny holes. Coming out the side and all of a sudden... Take the tent down, and all of a sudden, there's you just can see speckled. stars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and but so, yeah. It also depends too, though, because the canvas is a lot more breathable. You're gonna have that's true actual breathability where it can actually wick that moisture out yep. and get it outside. So as long as you do your maintenance, you shouldn't be sopping up that canvas with a lot of moisture. Yeah. To make it heavier, whereas the synthetic tents do have a problem with condensation on the inside. They do. And that's why you need a lot of that heavy in, uh, that so. heavy ventilation that basically every single part of your tent has to become mesh at some point to let the air in and dry it. That's the, a, that's what I like I've seen about certain companies that do a good job with the ventilation. Mm -hmm. They have little windows that you can unzip. They have just little ports that come in from totally. the side. It's like little socks that stick out the side yep. that you can close up. And then at the top, they have ventilation flaps that you can just completely close mm -hmm. or completely open, completely open, depending on how smoky it is, how warm it is, anything. So, And the other 
aspect of that is there's even some hybrid style tents where they'll have a synthetic floor for the first couple of inches mm-hmm. on the edges, or at least it'll be heavily, uh, it'll have like a DWP, a DuPont water uh, repeller on the edges mm-hmm. of the canvas down there where they know it's going to be a, like the sod cloth kind of situation. They know it's going to be the wettest spot of the tent. Yeah. Therefore they want to make it as wet proof or waterproof as possible. And you can do that yourself. If you wanted to, you could take a mix of wax and linseed oil or tongue oil, heat it up and roll it out all over the floor of your tent to make it a little bit more waterproof. I don't recommend that. Some people will recommend that. I don't uh, for two reasons. A, I want that air to be as breathable as the top so that when I do dry it out, everything dries out evenly and I don't have water pockets inside the bottom of my floor and that can lead to rotting. Mm-hmm. Um, the other concern is what happens if that area gets hot and that wax starts to bleed up the sides and you're hanging out in the sun to dry, that wax can melt and bleed into the rest and your tent becomes a lot less breathable. The final one is what happens if the tent does catch on fire and now I have a living candle all around me. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a great idea in my opinion. Um, But the synthetic options, when you mix them up, when you can get a good hybrid tent, I think that's a great option is having a heavy duty kind of rubberized nylon uh, ripstop nylon on the ground floor area, or at least for the first couple of inches uh, and then, of course, if you're maintaining your tent properly while you're on your trip, things like the Esker tents, the Snow Trekker tents, those classic like pyramidal or low wall uh, snow trekking or winter trekking tents, mm-hmm. they're often made of a lighter canvas than the heavy duty prospectors. Yeah. So they don't sop up as much water. They dry faster. And the floors on them are a little heavier than the wall uh, than the walls are, again, to help make them more durable. And you can dry them a lot faster and a lot more proficiently. It also comes down to where you set up your camp and how you set up your camp. A lot of people recommend throwing down spruce boughs before you put your tent on the ground mm-hmm. to protect that floor from the cold, wet, sopping ground. Well, especially in the tents you see that come without a floor or anything. That's you get the spruce boughs up there. Mm-hmm. You get insulation from the ground. You get a nice surface to sit on. Totally. Something that's a little cozier to sit on. Totally. There's so many different options. There'll be people just tend to a lot make their own floors for it you get materials like welding blankets and stuff that'll be fire resistant you don't have to worry about sparks getting on it from the stove some just use that as a little stove area ones and then there's tents like the alaknak which have the whole zip out so you can zip out just the area where the stove is going mm-hmm. plop that right down on the bare ground mm-hmm. and you're good to go make yourself a little platform little snowshoe for your stove because the st- the snow is going to melt around the stove this no is matter what, what you do yeah. so it's going to happen you want to make sure you are set up for that and you're not just going to melt all the way down it's the same thing with like the pole that goes in the center of those tp tents you want to make sure it's sticking down through so it's not just melting and all of a sudden your roof is coming down <laughs> on top of you yes if it's just right at the surface so yeah. Just make sure some people like the one trick to do is just carry a piece of cord with you. That's already measured mm-hmm. to what you want that pole to be. And then you check the depth of the snow, add that to your length. And then all of a sudden that's the, the length of pole you're cutting and you just dig it right down the solid ground. Yeah. So it's always touching solid ground. It's not going to sink in the snow. People will put a little piece of wood underneath it, but 
if it's melting around that, it's still going to sink if it's, down. Especially if it's a metal pole in a warm tent, it's yeah. going to conduct that heat yeah. and it's going to melt through. And even the wood below it is mm. going to warm up. Yeah. You can make a snowshoe, but if that snowshoe is warm, <laughs> it's still going down through the snow. Exactly. Um, and that's like, there's a, there's a lot of aspects to these tents. There's a lot of brands of tents and there's a lot of perspectives of tents. Some of them are heavy. Some of them are light. Um, but at the end of the day, you can kind of plan it out. So like if you're going to be staying in one spot for a long time, these woods tents, like the prospector styles, the big wall styles, the big lavus, they're great for that. If you have, as Ryan was mentioning, a sled with a machine or dog sleds or something like that, that weight is no longer really concerned. You can take these tents out into far distant, far flung parts of the country. But if you think about like, again, the prospector would stay put, the dog sledder is on the move. And traditionally the dog sledder carried wedge tents, classic little canvas wedge tents with a small little cast iron or later on carbon steel stove. And then later on even tin stoves, which don't even get me started on that stuff. That's <laughs> a scary thought. But the modern aspect of that is things like the snow trekkers, mm-hmm. the eskers, where they're kind of a hybrid of wall and pyramid tents. and they're designed for the the snow trekking community they're designed yeah. for the snow, the winter trekkers the the winter campers and they're fairly light and portable like within reason they're not as you know break down as a synthetic tent that could potentially like a tent could possibly be put into a backpack i find them as one of the best like in between yeah the best of both worlds the goldilocks of winter tents the small portability mm-hmm. with still some guy out points coming with poles and stuff so totally and they come with it like just to to get across to everybody pretty much every tent we've talked about comes at a price like they these are not going to be cheap tents these are not going to be necessarily both ryan and i are big on affordability like we the, the very first episode we did of this podcast was the beginner's guide to bushcraft gear and how not to break the bank a lot of our episodes talk about hey here's a more affordable option a lot of these tents are coming with a premium price because they're premium gear. These things are meant to last a while. Some of them even come with warranties. Uh, many of them actually come with warranties. And they come from either a big industry who takes a bunch of time. They have a lot of employees working on quality control and heavy duty. We're like the Woods brand prospector tents. There's like 15, 20 people round the clock all year round building those tents. And then you have brands like Esker and Sewn Home, where they're made by a small family in a specific place who put their heart and soul into those tents. And they really will work with their customer base to make sure that, that tent is the right tent for their customer. And they they were they are really, really focused on maintaining that material, that product, and everything else. And this is literally at the end of the day, this is your shelter. Like this is your shelter in an extreme cold. We'll spend good money. I see guys that will spend like 500, 600 bucks on a sleeping bag that is made of half down, half synthetic, and it's meant for negative 45. And then they'll say that a tent that costs $700 was too much. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, in my hot tent, I don't need a minus 45 sleeping bag. I can have a couple of wool blankets. Yeah. And like it, it comes down to the same result, my comfort of sleeping. For me... Going out and cold camping is not viable for what I do. I need to be able to keep, if I'm out there for long periods, I need to be able to keep my gear dry and keep myself warm. I'm not going to be able to do that by keeping myself in an extremely warm sleeping bag and keep everything else in a cold tent. It just doesn't work. 
Unless I'm trying to summit a mountain. Exactly. <laughs> or there's no option of fuel or there's no option yeah. for other things. It's, it's just not an option for me. I would rather sleep out by a fire in that situation because I, at least I can dry my clothes and I can dry up my gear and I can warm myself up. Hot tents do all of that for me. And so, yes, an esker or snow trekker can cost a premium price. And so can the woods snow, uh, the, uh, the woods prospectors or the sewn home prospectors or a tent teepee or a teepee tent. Because those are two different brands. Tent teepee, I believe, comes from Norway and teepee tent comes from British Columbia or vice versa. There's actually two different brands with the same kind of name. Um, amazingly, they still both keep in business. I'm not sure how that works. But uh they all come with a premium price of like between let's say 700 and two thousand dollars these tents can range in around that amount of price some of them can go for cheaper depending on the material they're made of and depending on where they're coming from like we we're talking about lux earlier lux are manufactured in china but they're based out of the united states so they're able to get that you know cheaper price because they're going overseas and getting the manufacturer in a different place that has lower prices um and they I have to go bare bones on their design too. They don't yeah. go all out with extra zippers, extra yeah, windows, no. everything. It's like a that. shell. It's, it's a shell that you put a stove time. inside. Maybe a little ventilation hole, but that's normally it. Yeah. They'll and do like their double wall doors with the bug netting on the inside sure. of the door layers, but that's as far as a lot of the models will go that yeah. I've seen. And that's not just Lux. There's a lot, like there's one Tigris and there's a lot mm -hmm. of other brands we're finding on places like Amazon and other big box yeah, online stores. Yeah, find on Amazon is you'll find the one Tigris. Or yeah, Tigris, Tigris I think it is. Because then they have like the Roaring Tiger stoves. So, so I'm assuming like, it's pronounced Tigris. They'll be the $200 ones. Yeah. And then you'll get Lux, so it'll be more around the $400, $500 yeah. range. And they're usually made of like sill nylon, not so much a ripstop. So they're not as, they're not the ones that you want to really beat up. Those are the tents that you want to kind of baby when you take them out with you. Not saying that you can't do it. And, th and that's kind of like the benefit of the modern craze of hot tents is now we're starting to see more affordable options for people. Those have to be taken care of. If I'm going to be in a one Tigris or a, a Lux, I'm probably not going to be camp in a, uh, camping in a heavily forested spot. I'm probably going to be a little bit more out in the open. So there's less chance of branches falling during a windstorm or a blizzard and breaking my tent. I'm going to pack it into the middle of my toboggan or sled bag and put all my other gear around it to protect it from punctures and rocks and everything else. Uh, I'm going to be very careful with how I take care of my stove inside of it. I'm going to make sure everything's set up really carefully. And these are all things you should do with your tent anyways. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I kind of enjoy the world of the Lux and One Tigers. Whether they're going to last long and they're going to be very durable, I have no idea. I, have I think not in found... the right hands, they will yes. last a long time. Yes. But if you're starting out, anyway, it's it's kind of a win-win, I guess, because yeah. you get someone who's starting out who's looking to upgrade down the road anyway, mm -hmm. or else you get someone who's a little more experienced but also wants to save some money and knows they'll be able to take care of this tent for a while. Totally. Because it's not, it always doesn't always come down to affordability rather than bang for buck. If I'm if I'm paying the premium, I want to know I'm paying that premium for a reason, mm -hmm. and that it economically works, totally. not just because you're buying the big brand name. Like so, even some of these other these companies make their higher upper line models. Like Lux doesn't always do the TPs. They've got their Hercules model as yep. well which is a geodesic dome, mm -hmm. three doors, stove jack comes out the top. 
only partial fly. It's got the fly that clips on around the top, but it only comes about a third of the way down. It just covers the very top of it. It reminds me of like a warm weather tent, but then it has yeah. a wood stove in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of it's interesting. Some extra poles and everything. Yeah. And then some of these designs, it also comes down to who are you going with? Are you going solo? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of these tents require different amounts of upkeep and also putting them up and taking them down. Yeah. Some of these geodesic domes, once you get to a certain size, it's pretty hard to Ooh, get all the own. poles in place by your own while crisscrossing and mm -hmm. trying to manage a 13 foot wide tent. <laughs> yeah. And then other things, it's just a single pole in the middle. You just stake out the side, the stakes around your doors on either side, put in the middle pole and then adjust accordingly all the way around. Yeah. So it's nice and easy for a one-man job if you're just going out by yourself with your dog or something and mm -hmm. just going out, doing some trapping, doing some hunting, or just going out to hang out in the woods and enjoy nature. So that's a big thing, too, because those prospector tents, they've got more to put up, and it's going to be a lot harder to put up by yourself. Totally. So that's one thing to look into when you're choosing a tent is, am I going if am I only going to use this when I have four buddies with me or if I'm going to try to do some solo adventures as well? Because that's one yeah. of the things I'm looking into right now is because I know I'm going to want it for both solo and a couple friends and or a couple friends. So I want to make sure it's something that I can put up by myself and take down without much hassle. But still be roomy enough for one or two people to slip inside with you. Exactly. Because you get some of those tents, especially those like one tigress ones. They're the size of this coffee table. <clears throat> you barely have enough room for you and a stove in there. If anything, yeah. they're four feet tall. Yeah. yeah. Just a little tiny. It's like, how is that a tent, not yeah. a sleeping bag? It's like those little tiny play tents you'll buy for kids. Yeah, yeah. And set up in the living room. Sure. <laughs> um, and like that's that's like talking about like one tigress and talking about lux. These are often made in like places like China and Pakistan, and then they're brought over to the United States through Amazon or through the brand Lux and whatnot. Manufacturers shipping their tents out is another kind of challenge in the winter trekking world for us here in Canada. Uh, you've lamented about this a couple of times over the last few months because you've been, again, doing your research and trying to find the right tent for you. We have a lot of ca uh, canvas tent companies here in Canada, but most of them are custom jobs, and therefore they're going to come with a custom price. Yeah. Um, the, the main ones that we have are Esker and Woods are the two brands that have canvas tents. So you have the Esker, which is a very high-end, really good quality uh, snow trekker style tent or winter trekking style you tent. You can find it for twelve hundred to two thousand dollars. Yeah, and then you have like the woods prospector tents that are the heavy duty, and then everything else that is well made, that are factory brand, like are going to be in that possible affordability range, are in the states. And then you have yeah. like duty and shipping yeah. and all this stuff to deal with. Um, Ryan was saying earlier that one thing he wanted to get across on the podcast is if you are at one of these tent companies, <laughs> get a Canadian distributor. We are one of the largest winter camping countries in the world. I really love it from Snow Tracker. Snow Tracker. If you're listening from Snow Tracker, please. Ellis Canvas as well, because I really like your shackled intents. If you're going to be doing these. Number one, sponsor us. Number two, <laughs> bring them over here and have something that I can find from a Canadian distributor. So I'm yeah. not having to worry about, oh, budgeting for 
bar like brokerage fees and duty fees we're having to go to the states to pick it and up. also waiting a month to actually receive it especially with the supply chain yep. restrictions right now yep so you got to be thinking way ahead i always get to the point where it's like i'll think about it next year during the summer when nobody else is out buying these tents and yep. stuff i'll go in and i'll get one then and then I'll have it ready to go. And then November rolls around. I'm like, crap, I forgot to do that. I was too busy thinking about my summer jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's, we're kind of in this weird place where in Canada we have like, there's three brands that I know across Canada that are like, you can get them at pretty much any time. It's, it's Esker. Uh, I'm looking for the names right now. Esker, Woods, and uh, Teepee Tent over in BC. So those are your options really. And there's, there's also like that Atuk attic Atuk from and, Quebec. Yeah, there's Atuk uh, or Atuk. We're not sure how to pronounce it. Apologies to Atuk. I just read it. So. We've just been reading here. <laughs> We've been learning about you the last couple of days. And Sewn Home. It's actually it's a friend, my, a friend of mine, Dave Lundberg. Yeah, um, I like his stuff too. His stuff's really nice. Yeah. But it's custom. You have to order it ahead of time and ask him uh, to put it together how you want. And he'll do like a prototyping yeah. process and stuff, and know that he, he'll be able to tell you how much it's going to cost by basically cutting some paper into a template and figuring out how that's going to work. And then yeah. tells you how much it's going to cost, which is fine. I love Dave's work. Dave makes some really nice, like the wigwam that is over at the Nagajuanong Friendship Center currently is made up by Dave Lundberg. The teepees in the region that we're in are so all made just by across Dave. the street. Yeah. We're, we're looking at it from this window. We're looking right at now. it right now. <laughs> that's a Dave Lundberg sewn home yeah. tent, uh sewn home teepee. And so sewn home is another great brand. If, you have the time if Dave has the time. It's all because it's him and his wife up in uh, I think Timmins, Ontario, putting them together. So it comes down to like, does he have the time to get it done before your winter trekking trip in two weeks? And that's the thing to do your due diligence on first when ordering something. Yeah. Don't expect it to have prime delivery if you're yeah. getting it from one of these very well handcrafted mom and pop companies. They'll probably let you know what the lead time is on ordering. They'll say to expect two months ahead or you could be waiting up to half a year for something so be be courteous be kind understand what you're getting yourself into before you order something like this and don't start jumping down their necks within a couple of weeks of not receiving your item they'll be in contact with you mm -hmm. so you're getting a good product and you sometimes got to wait for that so plan yeah. ahead get it in the summer when it's the off season they don't have people cramming in like oh i'm going ice fishing for the first time up north and i want to get one of these heads and you have dozens of those people doing that mm -hmm. so then if they don't have a big factory upkeep like someone else so totally just understand the limitations of who you're ordering from and where you're ordering from so definitely and that's like ryan said that's your due diligence that's your responsibility that's not on them uh, I know a lot of people that put in horrible reviews on a lot of these kind of products because it took so long. They have on their website how long it takes them to put this stuff together and how long yeah. the waits are. Unless it unless you put in like, oh, it's a four-week waiting period, okay, one month, and it took them two years, you have nothing to be complaining about during this pandemic. Unless they order something and then they'll complain it's too heavy when the specs were laid out yeah. right there when they're ordering. is like, understand what you're getting. If it's something of its... A manufacturing default or something that wasn't the way it was supposed to be or the way mm -hmm. it was promised but if it says 13 pounds and it comes out to be 13 pounds don't complain about your 
expectations being a little too skewed. Yeah. So now on the other end of the line, like you get a 10 from wish. Yeah. You got a 10 from wish. Sorry. <laughs> like I, as I'm saying, that, I'm looking up at a birthday present I got from my wife where she was told I was going to be getting a three meter tall Tyrannosaurus. And I got a three-inch tall Dilophosaurus Velociraptor Allosaurus <laughs> hybrid thing that we don't know what the hell kind of dinosaur was. I'm a dino nerd, so the fact that I don't know what that's supposed to be is saying something. That's, that's Wish. Yeah, that's they'll have knockoffs of low, even the Lux tents yep. and stuff like the Lux Hercules. They'll have it, but it's a slightly different color. It'll have an orange fly <laughs> yep. instead of having a brown and tan color yep. setup. It'll be like bright orange and blue like their florida gators all of a sudden got into winter camping winter camping yeah boise state here we come so keep that in mind like it, it, you get what you pay for if you're paying for an esker tent and you you're going to get esker tent quality if you're yeah. getting a lux tent you're going to get lux tent quality if you're getting a one tigress you're going to get one tigress quality and if it comes out of what you're willing to pay yeah, um, the esker tents are built right in toronto yeah so they're two hours away from here yeah if there's a problem with the tent you can literally call them and drop it off that day yeah it's within the possibilities if you live in this part of ontario their tents are made in ontario in mm -hmm. toronto but then their stoves are made and shipped from minnesota yeah because it was the nyco stoves the nyco stoves with the esker name stamped onto and it i like the i like the nycos mm -hmm. i like the nycos um the only nyco that i own is the alaskan junior that we talked about earlier yeah that was stuck in my giant 12 by 20 tent when we made that 10 to 10 by 12, that was a warm stove. Yeah. That was a great stove. Uh, the only other stove that I have a lot of experience with is the four dog stoves. And they are the cat's pajamas. They are phenomenal. They are amazing. They are a masterpiece. And they come with a masterpiece price. They're going <laughs> to be more expensive. And if you're looking into getting into, if you're like, hey, I want to become a winter camper and that's what I want to I want that to be part of my personality and my identity. And when people talk to me, they're like, oh, that's John, the winter camper. Put the money in, put the money in and get good tents and get good stoves. If you're going to kind of have to cut half and half and you're like, okay, I got to be affordable. Esker with an Esker stove made by Nyko is a pretty decent combo. You're not going to be able to have a lot to complain about there. If you have to make a really affordable decision, a Nyko or a four dog stove with a cheaper tent, at least you have a you know the heat source is going to be good. Mm -hmm. And as long as that tent is within a reasonable size and it can fit the stove pipe in its jack, you'll be able to get by. The final category is homemade. Like I've got a, our good friend Zoran uh, makes his own wedge tents, makes his own canvas shelters, and sets them up in his own ways. Well, just before we get into this too much, sure. I just wanted to add another point. Like I said about Canadian distribution and stuff like that and having Esker based in Toronto. I like having a place where I can go check it out in person before I go and buy yeah. it. Yeah, You're buying it sight unseen when you're buying it from the States or from yeah. overseas, from Norway. Lux, anywhere. Anything like that. So you can't really get a chance to be there in person, whereas at least in Toronto... Canadian Outdoor Equipment carries the Esker Hi, Tim. stoves and tents. So I can actually at least go in there to the Etobicoke-Mississauga border right there and yeah. then actually get to pick it up, see how heavy it is. Mm -hmm. 
see it actually set up on display occasionally. And if you go to their booth at the the outdoor adventure show, Toronto Sportsman Show as well, and everything like that, they'll normally have a model set up so you can see it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Which normally happens like February, but I don't think it's going to happen again this year. <laughs> so we're all getting strained of not being able to go to these shows because it's like a. It's like kids going to summer camp. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You get to see all your buddies. Yeah. All the people you know in the industry are in one spot yeah. and they have to be there. So you can actually go visit them. Yeah. And they feel the same way. It's like one of the only times I see Skeet Sutherland <laughs> is I go to the Toronto Sportsman Shows. There's Skeet showing how to do a bow drill. Perfect. I want to go talk to Skeet while he does a bow drill because yeah. we don't see each other any other freaking time of the year. Tim Foley with Side Canada Door Equipment Co. I'll go over and hang out at their booth. When I have my own booth to be dealing with, I'll go over <laughs> to their booth and just hang out there for half the day yeah. and then come back and have everyone from Canadian Bushcraft be like, where, the, where have you been? You were with Tim, weren't you? <laughs> it's great, but also it's a spot where you can go around and actually see the products that you've been hearing about and talk yeah. to the people who are using them and ask mm. the questions. Those, 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 um, whatever they're called shows, what are the, the, the product shows? Or whether it's the Outdoor Adventure Show or the Toronto Sportsman Show or whatever it may be, they're great for that specific reason. They're there to sell you on the brand they have. Mm -hmm. So go look at their brand. Um, and, of course, since Tim is a supplier, uh, distributor, and seller and retailer of Esker, you can go and see the Esker uh, tent and you can go look at their Nyko-made uh, Esker stoves. That's good um, when you have a distributor in the same city as mm -hmm. the manufacturer. They have a good relationship yep. so they can tell you when the next shipment's coming in exactly and have that two-way communication can everyone start wearing their masks and following the protocols better <laughs> so we can start having these shows again this is like the only family reunion i ever want to go to and i haven't been able to go to it in two years just freak come on i guess we gotta go i think it was like the winter camping symposium or whatever they had just like a month ago in minnesota yeah they had that going yeah on. they had that back in october november yeah yeah i was thinking about it i was seriously <laughs> like oh the border's opening can i get there i could get there <laughs> do i want to go right now i don't really got the money uh yeah. But like all these kinds of shows, whether it's the winter camping symposium, the global bushcraft symposium that's happening in July of 2022, uh, the Toronto sportsman show, the outdoor adventure shows, these kinds of shows or symposiums are chances for you to meet up with people that do this stuff on a regular basis and hear their opinions on gear, hear their opinions on tents. You're hearing our opinions and we're trying to keep this within a certain time frame so that everybody has uh, access to it. Uh, because apparently uh, we only get like, I, I was talking about this on our last podcast, but sometimes we're doing like two, three hour long podcasts and people are listening to the first five minutes. Mm -hmm. I found the analytics for that. I was laughing my butt off. Yeah. Um, so we want to keep this within a time frame that you're actually going to pay attention to is what we're saying. But uh, being able to find uh, a good tent and a good stove, it used to be really challenging. Even with the internet that we had 10 years ago, it was really hard to find this stuff. And you had like one or two brands out there and they were sky high prices. Mm -hmm. Prices are starting to go down. They were until the pandemic. Prices are starting to go back up a little bit. They're creeping up a little higher. I'm noticing on a lot of products. But hopefully when this stuff settles down, those prices are going to start coming down again as materials become more affordable again and more accessible again. But it, we're seeing a lot. What I'm trying to get at is there's a lot more options out there. I literally have a list of like 11 brands that we've been kind of reviewing over while we're doing this podcast. We have... 
Ellis Canvas, which does the Shackleton, Esker Tents, Snow Trekker, Sewn Home, Tent Smiths, Woods, Atuck or Atuck, Lux, Tent Teepee, Teepee Tent, and Nortent. We forgot to talk about Nortent. Nortent, yeah. I've been seeing a lot of those around. That's pretty They seem pretty nice. As well. They seem pretty they, nice. They have their geodesic models mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. everything, and then the kind of the Lavu style. So totally. They have those. And, I like those, those. Will be more along the synthetic edge of things, so it, yeah. it's best of both worlds. The pack down nice, the more poles it has, obviously it'll be a little heavier, but Definitely. that's what I, I I like the kind of mixture between geodesic dome is what you get a lot of mountaineering tents. Mm-hmm. It can handle a lot of heavier snow load on and it. And wind and everything else. And wind, and you can be sure it's going to be pretty bomb-proof when you're going. Some people argue that they're more avalanche-proof. Yeah, which if you're up in those mountains, that's a, that's a consideration you have to think about. I wouldn't I wouldn't market that. No, <laughs> I, would say, I would not say anything. Up to the no, <laughs> they say that it holds up better than the other tents because the other tents are just one or two poles and they collapse. Yeah. The geodesic has a little bit more support, so you have a chance to have an air bubble before you exactly. die. Sure, I still don't want to be in an avalanche area, and I wouldn't recommend anybody try to set up a tent in an avalanche area. Yeah. <laughs> don't do those things. But yeah, they are going to be stronger. They're going to be able to take a little bit more abuse from the uh, from the conditions you're in. Because I've I've set up some of my three season tents to be able to be cold winter camping tents, and that's what I've used for my mm-hmm. last few adventures. But I wouldn't want anything more than a quarter foot of snow on top of that yeah. before it starts trying to push to one side and collapse and yeah. snap a pole. The, and... the Hilberg I've been looking at are really good at holding up against snow. They're made up in, I believe, Norway or Sweden, and they're really, really good. They're a very small tunnel-style tent. Mm-hmm. That's a cold tent um, with two big vestibules at the ends, and they're apparently really popular because they can take that kind of abuse of the subarctic conditions. But I, I fall back on the idea of, like, why would I want to go cold tenting if I have the ability to have fire? If I have the ability, it's the same argument I've made about snow shelters for years. If I have firewood around me, why am I making a snow shelter? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to make a lean-to and have an open fire. If I have access to firewood and I have a tent option, I'm going to go with a hot tent. Yeah, the only really stories I hear of people surviving in snow shelters is snow caves on the side of mountains. Where they have the proper gear. Up above the tree line and near the Arctic and somewhere where they can just dig into an already formed mound. Exactly. And then just sleep it off for the night. Igloos. Igloos are a great option as well. If you know how to build an igloo and you're wearing the right kind of clothing, those kinds of snow shelters cannot be beat. Mm -hmm. But if I'm in an area where I have a bunch of hardwood or even softwood around me that I can cut up for firewood, I'm not going to make a pile of snow and start hollowing the son of a bitch out. Yeah. That's not happening. I've had that rant on our previous episodes and I'm going to have it again. I'm not doing this. It's not <laughs> happening. I don't do those things. It's a dumb idea in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's great to train on. It's great to understand how to do them, but I do not depend on them in any way, shape or form, except in areas where I do not have firewood. But uh, I've, I've slept in snow trenches covered in tarps. I've slept in cold tents yeah. and everything like that. And eventually, after a while, unless it's necessary, you're like, I just want to treat myself. I want to enjoy this more. I want to get a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. I want to set up a base camp that I can then just branch off of and go explore my snowshoes. Take your cross-country skis out somewhere. Mm -hmm. Load up a sled and you're good to go. So Exactly, Mundo. Talking about affordable options, we were talking about like brand names and, and the, the brand new store bought you can get and the challenges there and the benefits there. But there's another category. There, there's another bigger, and I kind of 
<laughs> mentioned it offhand before we got into that stuff again, and that is homemade. Make your own tents. Some people that do that. But there's another option out there, and that is the secondhand or surplus market. And so what options, where can we look for tents? What, what kind of uh, places would you be saying, like, if I'm looking for just a tent that'll get me going, yeah, I can sew it up or fix it up. What are some good options out there? Army surplus yep. is always a good one. There's a limited market if you're looking at Kijiji or Craigslist. You won't be able to find much because you see the views on those sites and you within a day you'll see a thousand views on that one ad and everything <laughs> yeah. but army surplus is good because then they just get the art the old army bell tents arctic bell tents mm -hmm. and stuff we've got two in the basement yeah uh, so the the one thing i will warn you about with the the surplus tents is their surplus they were beat the hell out of they were used they were abused um i was talking to a friend of mine who was in the forces who did um operation nanook which is going up to alert and doing patrols and learning winter survival and winter camping up there while you're in the Ar high arctic you're way up on the north end of baffin island kind of thing and he told me this sort of like yeah on the last day that we were there a lot of the guys were so frustrated and exhausted and just pissed off they took a knife to their tents because they were leaving anyways fuck these tents kind of attitude and he told me that and a week later I bought a bell tent and I opened it up and it was torn to shit. <laughs> it was absolute torn to hell. And I ended up having to, I started trying to patch it. I tried to start trying to soak it. These, these are like 10 foot long slashes in these tents yeah. that are going through seams and going through everything. They were just mm -hmm. attacking this tent and I ended up just scrapping it and using the canvas for other projects because I just yeah. could not fix that tent. They go for like 200 bucks if you're getting yeah. a used one. So you again, you get what you pay for yeah. and you're not going to find a $200 canvas tent somewhere else. That's made out of heavy duty duck exactly. canvas. And the benefit there is you can say to the surplus store owner, hey, do you got a parking lot we can open this up in? Yeah, I'd like to take a look at them before I buy it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them will be like, yeah. And a lot of them, uh, I still lament the fact that we no longer have an army surplus store here in Peterborough. Uh, uh, Ian Kyle, who did run the Army Sur our cat is purring on Ryan's lap right now. <laughs> if you hear what sounds like a small motorcycle in the background, that's Nefer. But uh, yeah, he he would actually, when he went to the, to the depots to pick up surplus gear, he would actually meticulously open them up and look them over before he ever picked them up himself. Yeah. Because he didn't want to screw over his clientele. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of surplus stores across Canada and the U.S., wherever you may be, you can possibly ask, hey, can we take this outside and open it up somewhere? Do you have a storage area we can open up and look it over? I don't want to buy a lemon. Mm -hmm. And when they hear that, they're like, okay, this is a client that is that is going to buy stuff from me, but only if it's the best. Mm -hmm. Let's go do that and let's go through the tents. And they may actually find, you may find one that's actually in mint condition yeah. that came off of a ship that never got used because it was one of those emergency tents that they had on a ship or on a Hercules or something mm -hmm. to make sure that in case their ship crashed into sea ice or their plane went down in the Arctic, they had shelter for their crew and those planes and ships never went down. So the, mm -hmm. the tents never got used. There's always that possibility. And that's really good. That's a really good option. Uh, These in, places, they do sell the used and then they will have the option of getting one that's like new mm -hmm. or new. Yeah. But you're looking at like two to $400 for the used and $1,000. Potentially, yeah. For yeah. the newer, better ones that they have. So. And the bell tents, they're kind of, a, they're kind of because they're a crew tent. They're sometimes a bit of a pain in the butt to try and set up on your own, as Ryan was talking about earlier. 
uh, tents that are being set up. The setup can be a frustration, a frustrating thing if you're going solo, and a bell tent is a big tent to take out there. Uh, the the military surplus bell tents. It's big, but it's also still the central yeah. pole, so it's still easier comparably. But it might be a larger tent, yeah. so you're having to get a larger pole. And some varieties have the side poles and mm-hmm. all these things you got to have ready as well. Yeah. And special, if you're in powder snow, you're gonna have to make a dead man stake or something yeah. to help make sure it stays up because you're having a lot of weight pulling on all those guys Mm -hmm. so you'd either have to put it to trees or put it right to deep snow that you pack in with a wide horizontal stake instead of a vertical stake so there's a lot of those kinds of thoughts um regarding surplus and store uh, and uh second hand so beyond the tents themselves beyond the, the the buying of tents of used or make your own or buy brand new and what brand and from where what style there's also accessories. There's also like the, the other aspects of your tent that you may want to be looking into investing in. Things like uh, you mentioned uh, better guy lines. Why about what, what's coming up with the guy lines? Well, depending on what the company you get it from, sometimes they won't come with it whatsoever. Mm. Or else other ones will just be a cheap braided nylon cord. Yeah. It's something that people, you'll see reviews where they complain about it just fraying and falling apart within a day or two of use and you don't want to be stuck out there in the middle of nowhere your tent takes 12 to 15 guy lines to set up and half of them are rotting off and they're all just falling apart (laughs) with you and with those ones that are just that's the only way to support the walls and give it some structure that's that's really your only option to have it there's no other way to put it up if you just have a center pole and it's just draped around it yeah, I would recommend getting into some good heavy-duty guy line ropes. There's even ones out there that have reflective material in them, so you're not getting hung up in the middle of the night. You have to go out to relieve yourself. Uh, you got a headlamp on. They'll reflect, and you can easily see them. Even if all you have at the moment is a little 50, 550 paracord or yeah. something like that. Yeah, something. Something just... that's a little bit At least bring it with you in case yeah. they start to fall apart. Yeah. Have a backup plan. On that note, a repair kit. Yeah. Like most... Good tents come with their own repair kits. Um, whether it's a nylon or synthetic tent or an actual canvas tent, they usually come with some sort of repair kit. I would inc- I would encourage you to increase that repair kit. Add a few extra, especially if you're working with uh, canvas. Get a speedy stitcher all. Get some canvas sail needles. Uh, get some uh, crescent-shaped needles so that you can sew from the inside during a bad storm instead of having to go in and out, in and out, having to go from one side to the other. Yeah. Things like that, uh, I think if you're going with a synthetic tent, getting enough tent sealant and getting enough tent tape to repair bad tears that could happen out in the backcountry. Bring a little tube of seam seal. Exactly. Something yeah, like yeah. that. Um, beyond that, there's the actual just like actual accoutrements for your stove and for inside the tent that we like or we recommend. Uh, or you could look into for yourself other options. My The number one thing that, I, as I've said several times throughout this episode, somewhere to hang up my clothes to dry. Mm-hmm. I love ridge lines. I love the little canopy, like hammocks or mesh shelves yeah, that are at the attics, top of... Yeah, the attics. I love those for being able to just dry <clears throat> gear out. That's a great addition to any tent, in my opinion. It's just a space to get them away from me so I'm not any more damp. What's the one upside to the outfitter tents, such as your Alaknak? Yeah. How they come with little fold-down cup holders and bags and storage bins. We were actually joking about how, like, chic that tent is. Uh, 
because it has cup holders on those shelves. Yeah. There's actually cup holders. <laughs> like, really? We're going that redneck chic with this thing that we're putting in cup holders? Just like when you get those nice canoes and you see a cup holder in the seat, it's like, ah. That's for the well, that's something the, like a base camp, and you're already going all out for oh, comfort. Yeah, it's a brilliant idea. Anyway. Totally, it's not something idea. you're gonna be carrying out in the bush with you anyway. Oh, yeah, gotta hold that. Gotta keep a space for my two four on the back of the sled <laughs> and everything. So it's, it comes down to your goals for your trip. Totally, so. there's nothing wrong with it. Um, and then beyond that, there's also like what I always recommend is a water jacket or what's often referred to as a water tank on the stove. I'm a big believer in hot water on demand. It whether it's for coffee or for uh, cooking water or outright for just sanitizing, just having a, a a dish of hot water that you can sponge bath with on demand, or at least wash your hands with when they get filthy from the soot and the blood from butchering small game that you caught on the trap line. And somewhere we can get some hot water on demand is something I really really appreciate at the end of the day. Well, those are nice. They nor typically fit around the stovepipe and just some get do, yeah. the radiant heat, and some hang off the side. And they come with like a nice little pour spigot. Yeah, I I like them. I think they're a little glampy on the glampy side. Like I'm not sure what they can do that a percolator or a pot can't do. Sometimes they've totally. got bigger storage, and then that's just for that. I've never actually used one and tried to refill it because I, I assume they'd be pretty difficult if you're melting snow for your They're actually really easy. And everything, yeah, because yeah. some of them I've seen is just a small hole on those, top. Those are those little, like, G-stove ones yeah. that go on top of the stove, but I'm talking about the full water jacket that goes right yeah. against the body of the stove. Mm-hmm. It's just a flap on the top. You okay, open that up and throw snowballs. Okay. Yeah, and they can even become an extension of your stove top. We're talking about, like, a stove uh, tables, the little yeah, shelves. Yeah, little tables that... Yeah, either just attach onto the side, or else they come like at the G stove and those styles, where they just fold down. And they're a little grill kind of thing, right? And yeah, it's like a little grill that you can then hang your mittens and yeah, stuff yeah. off of those. So that's another accessory or an additional piece to whatever stove you choose totally. to get. I love the water jacket. The, the reason I like the water jackets that are on the side of the stove is a, they're usually. Like like a gallon of water so you have a lot of water there you just keep throwing snowballs in as the day goes to keep it topped up but also it saves the top of my stove so yeah you can do a lot of that with a percolator but now i have all that room for cooking i have all that room for drying i have all that room for doing other things Mm -hmm. uh it's to me it's a better option that i appreciate and i I can understand why your your uh, your your logic of it is like well i could do that with a percolator you're right you can there's nothing wrong with that if that's your preference too Mm -hmm. Um, I like the water jacket just because it frees up the space for what I like to do because I love cooking on the hot stoves. Yeah. I really love cooking on stoves, which is one of the other reasons I'm kind of bummed with that Alaskan Junior with the big stud tent because it's putting all this heat. It's trying to heat up that whole tent. There's yeah. not much of a surface to, to cook on. Mm-hmm. Um, we end up often using woks just to try and make up as much <laughs> use of that heat surface as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, other ones, like there's the, st- I like stack robbers. They go into your stove pipe and they're uh, extensions of copper pipes and copper conduit that goes into the stove okay. pipe and then comes out with a certain kind of uh, extension that allows it to dissipate that extra heat from inside your stove that's going up and out into the air, catches some of that extra heat, heats up those copper rods, and then extends that heat and uh, redistributes the heat back into your tent. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great idea. And they're also a secondary spark arrestor. Yeah. So you have your regular spark arrestor on the top of your stovepipe, mm-hmm. and then a secondary spark arrestor inside the stovepipe 
So there's even less chance of concerns of uh, t uh, of tent fires or melts or singe holes and such. I don't have one uh, simply because they do cost a pretty penny. They they usually start at like a base price of 150. Yeah. Sometimes you can find one for 80. I don't know if I'd want one that only costs 80 dollars unless it's a used one. Uh, simply because it may be made of cheaper material, and that's something that's going to get heated up really hot all the time. It's yeah. something that's literally there to get heated up. Mm -hmm. um, if it's thin. So we had a little bit of a technical bump there, but hot. Uh, so stack robbers or sometimes heat thieves. There's a lot of different names for them, but it's something that goes in your smokestack to allow you to catch some heat. You want to make sure they're going to be of a good quality. You don't want to be made of thin-walled copper, thin-walled aluminum especially. It'll just melt right out. You know, a bunch of slag in the bottom of your stove. But there's other things you can have. You can have liners. You can have saw, uh, false floors that you can put down on the bottom of your tent. You can have false floors inside your hot, uh, inside your stove to make the floor last longer in your in your cheaper or thinner walled stoves. Um, there's a lot of different options out there. Where do we want to go with that? Like, what kind of options? Like, what's you were talking about? Like, uh, mini tents or liner tents that go inside. Well, you have you have the full liners, which add more insulation because you got double the walls right. you have that s section between the shell and the liner where it's right. just going to be dead air space staying warm but there's also clip-in stuff like lux and i believe nortent and all those other companies do it too with their synthetic tents where it's a clip-in half tent oh, so yeah, it's like yeah. a bug net so if you want to extend it into the summer then you can with right, your tp right. tent or even the shoulder seasons where it's still cold at night and you like to have your wood stove and your fire. But you can also have a, get yourself away from bugs that might still be out. But We're seeing mosquitoes season, right now. So. Yeah, it still gives you a little extra insulation and wind resistance and such. Totally. And it gives you a floor built in. So it's like putting a tent within a tent just without the shell. It's just a so, bug net and a butt bathtub floor. It's the Russian nesting doll of tents. Yeah. Eventually we'll have a lavu with a pyramid tent inside of it that has a wall tent inside of it with another tent inside. Well, you just keep opening it Even mentioning Russia, there's the Russian bear tent, which is getting a lot of... That one I've never heard of. It's another dome tent. It, it has that kind of pop-up tent where it's just that centerpiece where you push up on the top and click it in place like you do an umbrella. I'm looking this up while you talk about it. Out. And then you see, but they go for like two, two and a half thousand dollars. Because oh. they're like double walled, they're domed, and they have an option for a wing flap door. That's a cool looking tent. It's got come, a peak to the dome. It's got like an insulated floor built into it. So this is like the luxury and it's like, they come, you know, if you've seen it, they're normally like a reddish brown camouflage yeah. outer shell, but they've Holy. got double walls. Everything's kind of been thought of. The only part I'm kind of skeptical about is the umbrella style. And they look kind of short. Well, you can get two men, you can get four man they're like come big and then they come with add-on vestibules i was looking at the one and also like, like those it's are... like a cabin that comes off the edge yeah of kind of thing I was, I was looking at one right here that has like your, your classic umbrella tent mm -hmm. and then it looks like those tunnels you get for your cat yeah they'll have the tunnel tent style <laughs> ones as well so it's cool it's a company i've been seeing a lot of lately and a lot of advertisements and just checking it out mm -hmm. you're gonna pay a pretty penny but they've they've thought about a lot of things in this 
where it's just really well insulated, well put together, lots of ventilation in it. Cause that's always something you want to make sure when you're using combustion, you want to make sure you have ventilation. ventilation. And then even bring a carbon monoxide detector with you. Totally. Just a little battery powered carbon monoxide. That's what a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. And it's just that extra insurance. So you don't go to sleep and never wake up with a, <laughs> very tent true, run, very with true. a stove running in a tent. So. <clears throat> it's also good to have, um, Trying to remember the term I was looking for. There, this is another selling point on candle lanterns. Is a candle will start to flutter in a windless area if it yeah. doesn't have a lot of oxygen. Mm-hmm. So it's another benefit to have those candle lanterns. And instead of a tent, uh, whether it's a canvas tent or synthetic tent, unless your wood stove has those kind of glass windows to let the heat, the, the radiant light out, yeah. they're very dark. They're, yeah. They can be quite a dark space to be living in, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you've got like a canvas tent that has an, a fly over it. You're living in a shaded space 24-7. Yeah. It's not going to have a lot of light coming in. If you have like an Esker tent or Snow Tracker where it's a one wall, single wall canvas tent, yeah, there's plenty of light inside them. Mm-hmm. But at night, it's nice to have those candle lanterns uh, or propane lanterns. If you're using propane lanterns, again ventilation is necessary you need to have ventilation near the lantern and ventilation away from the lantern to make sure you have fresh air coming in driving out any fumes the propane ones use up they're a very efficient burn so there's less likely for them to put chemicals in the atmosphere around you but they can use up a lot of oxygen to burn the propane properly so if you're using a kerosene lantern be very mindful you need ventilation around that lantern at all times to bur- uh, to let it uh, gas off and dissipate the gas out of your tent uh candle lanterns should also have that because you're burning uh you're burning hydrocarbons you're burning wax you're burning uh the the, the fiber that the, the wick is made out of whenever you have a open flame you should have ventilation period wood stoves lanterns all <clears throat> that's why i even like the stove placement that's right next to the door mm-hmm. somewhere you can easily load fuel in and out load yeah. up all your wood stack right there next to the door so you're not climbing across a tent to get to it yeah as well as it's something you can leave the door flap open slightly to allow some air to get totally. in and circulate. And it's passing right by the stove first. So it's warming up the air. You're not going to feel that cool draft mm-hmm. until the morning when the stove is out. But at the same time, it's somewhere where it has ample supply of oxygen right there. So you don't have to really worry about it too much. Totally. But Beyond that, I'm trying to think of any other accessories that I think are really cool. Well, then- um, the floors, they come in all different styles. Yeah. Some people just use just a basic camping tarp, just a tarp or just some plastic sheeting or else there's companies that'll make like a, pretty much like a vinyl floor, yeah. insulated floors, rubberized, kind rubberized of and all that such. And then also another trick is like you've used it in the tent out there. <clears throat> it's something I've used for my winter camping trips are those puzzle piece foam, yeah. closed cell foam. Especially for around the doorway when you're taking yeah. your boots off and stuff. That, that as well as a sleeping area, because it gives you, if you're not using extra a camp cot, yeah. then it gives you that extra layer, and then you have another sleeping pad on top of that, mm-hmm. and then you have whatever blankets or sleeping bags or quilts Definitely. you're using. So anything that gets you further from that, 
like that's what the spruce boughs are just the natural option of that so then mm -hmm. you can just lay a blanket over that and then have your sleeping pad or, or go straight on top of the boughs kind yep. of thing so anything that gets you off of the ground floor to stop the heat loss to the ground on that on that subject like we have um I have a Caterpillar phone. I have a cat phone. I had a previous, this is the S62. The one I had was the S60 or the S61. Uh, that was the first one to have an actual FLIR camera built into it. Mm -hmm. And Radic and I, one of our staff members, good friend of me and Ryan's, um, we ran a, one of our last winter survival courses before the pandemic. Uh, I think it was 2018. Uh, and then Ryan and I ran the very last one that we ran for Canadian Bushcraft just before the pandemic began, but Radic and I, when I had that phone, we had a teepee and inside the teepee were the students sleeping. And one of them kept kind of like complaining about the spruce boughs. They were really complaining that we had this big donut of spruce boughs. Uh, it's sticking me, even though we had a little blanket on top of yeah. it, they were kind of annoyed about the needles. I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about this real quick. Right by the fire, you have bare earth. You don't have spruce boughs right up to the fire. Yeah. Because that's asking for trouble. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're just asking for trouble. So you have about a one foot to 18 inch clear space between the spruce bough floor and the fire that is just bare earth. And I said, put your hand on that bare earth. And they put their hand there for the count of 10. And I pointed the FLIR camera we had at the ground. And that had absorbed 12 degrees. So it was like negative. It was zero degrees away from them. And then it was 12 degrees where their hand had been for 10 seconds. It sucked up 12 degrees of temperature through conduction. Yeah. I said, now do that on the spruce boughs. And they did the exact same thing, counted to 10, 0 0.3 degrees. Mm -hmm. So it went from 0 to 0 0.3. It's insulated. That is why we do the spruce boughs. It's something really, really neat to realize that if you have like a compressed 4-inch floor of spruce boughs, 4 inches when they're compressed. Uh, when they're not compressed, it should be like knee-deep. It works really well. It works really well even with modern tents. We'll sometimes just throw down a bunch of boughs and then put the tent on top of that, even with nylon ones, because it just helps insulate. Another option is to compress the snow. Pack it down with your snowshoes and pack it in as tight as you can. Some people will dig down to the earth. I don't recommend that because that's where it's going to be the coldest now. You've now made a cold sink, but the ground itself is also frozen. The snow below you can insulate. If you do it properly and then put down good flooring above that. To That's keep the thing. You if you have all that extra stuff to elevate and insulate, mm -hmm. that's good because they both have their drawbacks. If you have some nice fluffy snow that turns into just a sheet of ice on the inside of your tent. Yeah. So that it's no longer insulating anything and it's just melting and it's sliding yeah. and it melts on evenly. So then you have Divots. all of a sudden you're in a bobsled track. And... <laughs> yes, that is true. Um, and on that note, like sleeping, I like to sleep elevated. Mm -hmm. I always have, uh, the cots that we currently have, have like, uh, what would you say? Like 12 to 14 inches height, maybe 18 inches. Yeah. Though the one, like the woods one that I've been sleeping on recently, mm -hmm. it's probably 14, 16 inches yeah. clearance when you get up to the bigger ones, yeah. like more industrial size, wider ones. Yeah. Then they're like pretty much a two foot clearance underneath. Yeah, it's like sitting on a big tall chair. Yeah. And so. those are great. I, if you're looking for weight and space saving, there's ones that are only like six inches off the ground, four inches off yeah, the ground. Yeah, those ones, I'm not sure. I, I want to say Eureka. I think it was Eureka. like that. They have the ones that are just little feet that go the length of it and little tension poles. Mm -hmm. And they set up like a little kind of 
tent pole system, like your little folding camp chairs yeah. and stuff. They set up just like that, and you're four to six inches maximum off the ground. And that's more than enough. Use that when you're in Georgian Bay kayaking, sea kayaking trips, where all the terrain that you're camping on is just solid rocks. So then they just have one of these little guys that packs up. It's four pounds at most. Totally. Rolls up and stores at the bottom of your backpack. I'm a big fan of cots. It's because of years of sleeping in a hammock and just not liking being on the ground anymore. Mm -hmm. I've slept in our tent that we have out at the camp right now. Uh, last winter, I stayed out for four days, uh, and I didn't bring my cot because the cots were, I think, in one of our friend's cars, and then the other cot was being used at the time. Oh, that's what our, our friends took both my cots up camping. Oh, yeah. They took off, uh, I think it was Matt Radic and Matt. And Matt yeah. yeah, they went off for a winter camping trip, and they took my cots mm -hmm. and then forgot to bring them back for like a month. Then <laughs> I went out to the camp. I was like, oh, yeah, I have no cots out here. So I slept right on the floor. I brought a couple of sleeping pads with me. Man, that was rough. <laughs> that was not as pleasant as it was when I was sleeping in there with you the year before in cots. It was much more comfortable. Well, than that's cots. a whole other conversation with sleeping pads and stuff yeah. because I find the closed cell foam. If I'm sleeping on solid ground, it doesn't do much no. other than give a little insulation. But padding wise, it, no. especially if you're a side sleeper mm -hmm. or anything like that, it's just you feel it in the morning. Totally. And so there's so many different options for bedding inside of a tent. And what we're getting at is like it, it comes down to a, your comfort, B your resources, C what you really want to pack out there with you. If you're saying a big base camp, yeah, take some freaking cots. You're gonna, probably going to have a snowmobile or a machine or a bunch of people working together to haul that out. Anyways, you might as well bring the cots. Well, that it's are... also another decision to make when you're choosing your tent. Yeah. Cause if you're getting a prospector tent or something, or if you get a pyramid tent, TP tent, it's going to be difficult if you have a small two or three man TP tent, you're going to have a hard time fitting any cot true. in that there. Is true. So that's where something like a snow trekker with at least a little bit of walls or prospector style tent with three to five foot walls mm -hmm. will give you something. If you're, if you got the big outfitter size cots, then get yourself like a nice five foot wall tent yeah something where you have room to set up your cot as well as to sit up and move down so you're not just wedging yourself Stuck into a corner yeah. so and especially with the like if it's a rectangular square pattern then it's a lot easier to fit rather than a round tp or a round dome tent or mm -hmm. something as long as you have the clearance to fit it in there so totally so yeah that's uh pretty good breakdown i think i would say about tents uh, in general tents and stoves for hot tenting mm -hmm. uh, is there anything else you'd like to say via before we uh wrap this one up just also safety wise make sure you have your ventilation yes make sure you have the proper stove for the right tent mm -hmm. there's a lot of really nice stoves out there but if it's too small for the tent it's not going to work yes it's not going to heat the area that you need and if it's too big yeah, if you use too much space, you're turning yourself into a rotisserie chicken sometimes. Yeah. If it's too hot because it's too big, and if it's too, if you don't fill that stove up properly, it's not going to burn properly. You're just going to be dealing with smoke all the time. And also, with some of the cheap, cheaper tents, you need to make sure about that stove jack. Yes, that it's a real fire retardant Material. stove jack. Yeah, something that's not going to burn. 
No, I've heard reviews whole... about people just taking a lighter to it and gliding it underneath from a distance, and then all of a sudden it catches fire and starts bubbling up and mm -hmm. stuff, and it can't even take radiant heat from it. Yeah. So you want to make sure it's done well. Some of them come pre-cut, so you have to make sure you line up what stove you have with that. You mm -hmm. don't want to get a three-inch so that you can modify it yourself. Some you have to cut them open yourself. But you don't want to have a, a little tiny stove with a three inch stove pipe and then have a five inch stove jack opening sort of thing. But they'll they'll put that in the specifications. Yeah. And you can also buy uh, if you look around, if you shop around, you can find stove jacks that you can attach to canvas tents. And some of them are. Yeah, some of them are removable. Some yeah. are sewn right in and yeah. others are just Velcroed in. Yeah. So you can replace them if need be. Another trick I've seen people do is they make a little sleeve. Some I've seen make out of a coffee can, yep. cut some slits for some ventilation, but it keeps the heat aimed Trapped. direct up yep. and gives that. So it's not the one thing that's sitting between you and the stove jack. Mm -hmm. Because even there's when you have the over tarp, you have the walls of the tent, you have the stove jack. Things get awfully close to that stovepipe, mm -hmm. and you always want to make sure you're at least 16 to 18 inches away from the side walls. And sometimes it's difficult to get the clearance that you need. And if you don't always have the right clearance, then make yourself a little screen in the back, just a little heat reflector, either some sheet metal or whatever you may have. You can stuck around. Some people they'll pile their wood around the sides. So that's the first thing it hits rather than the side of this tent. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, one other safety aspect you may want to look into carrying with you uh, are these small portable chemical based fire extinguishers. Yeah. It's, it, it sounds a little like overkill, but honestly it's again, I know three people. I know three people that have had tent fires and they got injured by those tent fires. So you got to take that stuff seriously. If you're going to be having open fire, or even a closed fire, if you're having fire in your life, it's not a bad idea to have something like an extinguisher of some sort. Some people just argue the fact that they have a bucket full of snow melting that they can then throw on. If that's your fire extinguisher, that's your fire extinguisher. Okay. Yeah. But have those plans set up so that you have ways to mitigate those risks or mitigate those concerns. Risk mitigation, risk management has got to be part of winter camping, mm -hmm. it's especially with something that could go up in flames like a hot tent. Mm -hmm. Also, just take your time while setting up in the first place. Yeah. Make sure you have the right spot to set up mm -hmm. in and make sure you guide everything. Make sure it's tight. Make sure it's equal. You don't want to half-ass it. And no. then through the middle of the night, all of a sudden, you're hearing your middle pole snap. And then all yeah. of a sudden, everything's falling on top of you with a hot stove, stove on the inside of it. So yeah, just due diligence make sure you do the proper work setting it up make sure it's bomb proof mm -hmm. and then you can just enjoy yourself for the rest of the week that you may be there totally. so this sounds like a lot of information follow through this podcast do your due diligence and do your research google some stuff talk to some people if you can get to those like outdoor shows that happen go talk to people that use these things ask them if you have a friend that does winter camping Ask them about their uh, their gear. Ask them about what they have. There's even many Facebook groups. That yeah, I'm part of. There's winter camping, hot tenting groups, yeah. and everything, where everybody's constantly sharing photos of their setup and asking people. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of just 
conversations happening. People, oh, I like the way you do that. How do you do that? How does it work? What, how do you find it works and stuff? So there's a lot of people that are getting into it and a lot of experienced campers willing to share the wealth of information they may have on the subject. So yeah, there's lots of resources out there. There's also places like Now Outdoors, run by Nick Gordon, a good friend of mine. Um, Nico Outdoor Adventures with Dragon Uzalek, uh, who's last time I always butcher, sorry, Dragon. Um, Lure the North with Kylan and Dave Maroney, these people who do these big expedition trips. If you're just getting into these things and you're just getting into winter camping, there's nothing wrong with going with an outfitter, going for a weekend course, going for a weekend trekking trip and learning how to do these things and ask the questions from the professionals and making sure you enjoy it first. Yeah. Don't get this pie <laughs> like idea getting going. And this looks like so much fun having the stove and the tent. It's a lot of work, especially yeah. filling up your toboggan, your sled and trying to get out there, pulling it out there, but then to set it up mm -hmm. and then you're doing everything for yourself out there. It's yeah. old style living. So make sure you're ready for the physical demands of it. Some people love that aspect and other people, hate that they aspect. might invest two to $3,000 in all their equipment for winter camping and then absolutely hate it, turn around and try to find their friends who wants to buy things off them. <laughs> so yeah. just test it out first. Go with a friend who has one. Go yeah. with one of these companies who will show you the ways of doing it properly because they've done it thousands of times. Yep. There's... Kai and Dave are getting ready for their like the big toe. Yeah, the big toe. 90 days. It's 90 days in yeah, the wilderness. It's like close to a thousand kilometers of just snowshoe travel with yeah. toboggans. So they know what they're doing. Go oh, to yeah. those people. They're always happy to help. And once the 2022 season kicks in for us, we'll be getting ready probably for the 2023 winter. We'll be running our winter courses once again, winter camping courses, winter survival courses. Um, again, we're just waiting. As we talked about in the update video, uh, video, oh my goodness, update episode previously to this. Go check that one out if you want more detail what's going on with us and what we've been up to. Uh, but yeah, please, please do your research. Prepare for this stuff. Take the time. Read some books. The Snow Trekker's Companion book yeah. is a great book. Um I think it's called The Guide to Winter Camping by Kevin Callan is a great one as well. Uh, there's a lot of good books out there on the subject of winter survival, winter camping. Do your due diligence. Watch some videos. Watch some, uh, take some classes. There's online classes that people are doing. Some places are doing in-person classes. There's also the Frostbite Symposium that happens usually every year. Hasn't happened for the last couple of years for obvious reasons, although I think they did run it last year virtually. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um that was cool. I, I didn't get to actually be part of it when it was virtual. I got to watch some of the videos later, though. It was great. Um, those kinds of events are also great places to learn and also meet a lot of people and, and shop talk, doing a lot of shop talk. Hey, you've got a one Tigris. What do you think of it? I hate this damn thing. Or, okay, you have a one Tigris. What do you think? I like it for these reasons. And this is what I did to mitigate the issues that that guy hates about them. Instead of just listening to one voice. Uh, that's why we have Ryan and I. You have two voices coming from our own perspectives. And you've heard on several occasions, me say something and Ryan goes, well, I disagree. And this is why. Mm -hmm. And Ryan will say something that's like, actually, you can do this. And he'll be like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. That's the value of having these kind of shop talk chances so that you don't come in 
kind of with blinders up thinking this is how it's going to work and it doesn't always work out that way we're not trying to intimidate you from winter camping it's my favorite time of year to go camping you can as i've said on winter episodes before you can go where you couldn't go before because it's frozen you can go to and uh, camp at places that you would never camp at because there was bugs there and they aren't there now firewood is plentiful and you can see it fairly easily because there's not as much canopy blinding you from the dead trees that are standing uh it's a lot easier to thermoregulate in the cold than it is in the extreme heat so there's a lot of benefits to winter camping and i don't want you thinking that i've got to do these things and these things and these things to go winter camping you can save money in smart ways and you can get really creative and you can make your own gear find things surplus find things secondhand just be safe with it and work uh, do the do your due diligence, do your research, and and enjoy it. But as Ryan said, test it out first before you dive in deep and start expending a lot of money and a lot of energy and time because you may end up hating it. It's not built for everybody. Uh, I've already been doing my research for the last two months just on the season alone, mm-hmm. going off of everything I've researched before just to get ready for. But I'm excited. I made my cheap little pulk last year from a $25 Canadian tire sled Mm -hmm. and it worked great because I couldn't find a Pelican sled, which is my preferred one, but I was able to get one now. So I'm going to be doing that within the next few weeks, converting that, drilling holes, adding Mm -hmm. lashing points. And we're going to do an episode on pulks and sleds coming up. So we're also going to do something about that, how to actually get your tent and stove, your food, (laughs) everything loaded out into the woods yeah it's a lot easier it's like bringing a canoe with you that you just drag the canoe behind you oh, carrying your i love gear. pulks so i'm i'm in the i'm in the toboggan camp i love toboggan camping for hauling gear but we'll get into that stuff later they both have their advantages oh, yeah. for certain situations and totally. climates so totally yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get into that later in that don't want to don't want to spoil <laughs> that episode already but yeah uh thank you for tuning in folks thank you for everybody joining in to watch this or pay attention to this uh, big shout out to our patrons on Patreon, people like Renee Nolting. Uh, wow, I've forgotten half our followers' names because I haven't had to look at the page. I haven't had to do a podcast episode in a while. So give me one second. We're going to actually look up some names real fast. Sorry about that. Here's our Patreon, our, our newest patrons on Patreon Dave Gordon, Maggie Cummings, Charlotte, and Brad Gad, and all the other people. We've had a few other great people who come in and support us through Patreon and keep the lights on, keep sushi fed so that she doesn't try to eat us, uh, keep the internet going, be able to get all the equipment that we need for these episodes to happen. Uh, thank you so much to every single one of you. There's a lot of content on Patreon that you can get access to anytime that you want if you're a member of Patreon. Uh, and there's more coming very soon. There's a lot of content coming very soon again to Patreon in the next couple of days. We're also planning out our patrons invade the podcast episode for December. So that'll be coming up very soon. It probably won't happen actually until January, just because we're getting into the holidays and we don't want to be interrupting everybody's holiday plans, but that'll be coming up very soon. So if you're a patron, keep an eye out on our Patreon. You'll be seeing the announcement of when we're recording so you can jump in and get your voice heard. And of course, if you're a patron on our Patreon, You're one of our producers. You're one of the reasons we have a freaking podcast with episodes. So if you have ideas for content, you have ideas for episodes, you have ideas for subject matters that you want us to have talks about, you have the chance to contribute. Put that in. Message us on our Patreon and tell us what you want to hear, what you want to hear us talk about. And we will make that happen. We will do our damnedest to make that happen. 
because we really appreciate all your support and we want to support you back and show you our love and appreciation to the rest of our viewers and listeners. Thank you for tuning in today. This episode was great. Thank you again to ride the adventure guy for joining me for this awesome uh, episode because he's got a ton of his own insights that I really appreciate. So thank you again. Thank you. Caleb, the muskrat musgrave for joining me <laughs> as well. So Caleb, the muskrat. follow us both on Instagram. You can follow us on Instagram, <laughs> ride the adventure guy and Canadian bushcraft, Canadian dot bushcraft. I think it is, but ride the adventure guy ride underscore the adventure guy. Ah, right. <laughs> underscore the adventure guy. Yes. It's all that you have to pronounce the underscore every time. Pronounce the underscore. Ryan, <laughs> make a line with your hand. <laughs> The Adventure Guy on Instagram, as well as Canadian.Bushcraft on Instagram. Uh, and you can also throw ideas to us there. If you're not a patron on Patreon, you can still contribute ideas and content. Send it to our messenger, uh, to our, uh, send us a DM on Instagram or email us at CanadianBushcraftPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we usually do those ones very rarely, but we do still uh, take any contributions you've got. So, but if you want your voice to be heard a lot louder, Join us on Patreon, and that'll help out a lot for us, and it'll help you out a lot more, too. Take care, folks. <laughs>